Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. In this episode, we are having a special guest. It is John Ledyard from PewterReport.com. He is coming on to break down his 1.0 mock draft. And even though he works covering the Bucks year-round, He's an NFL draft nut. If you know John, you know that he's been in the draft game for a long time. He's one of my favorite scouting minds that I've had the pleasure of getting to know really well over the last couple of years. For those who are old, locked on NFL draft fans, this is a little bit of a blast from the past. We're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast, not just breaking down his new mock draft, but also his scouting philosophy, what goes into how he evaluates players, some guys that he's really high on, what he thinks about the class overall. It's going to be a good time. I'm Trevor Sikama. Let's get after it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama, but with me is not Connor Rogers. If you guys listened to the podcast last week, you know that I took a little bit of a mini February vacation before the combine. Now Connor is doing the same thing, so don't feel too bad for him. I know you guys are probably slandering my name in the comments why I got a little vacation and he didn't. Well, now he's gone enjoying some fun in the sun, so now we're even. But I do have a treat for you. With Connor not being here, had to go to the next best thing when it came to this podcast, and that is a locked-on NFL draft reunion here on the show. Let's go! With my very good friend, John Ledyard. John, I am so excited about this, man. You've been doing your thing at Pewter Report for a long time now, covering the Bucs, somehow getting Tom Brady to come down and win a championship in Tampa, (laughs) which I very much appreciate you for. You're welcome. But, dude, we haven't done a full-on draft podcast since yeah. the Lockdown NFL Draft Days. And so, man, I I, thank you so much for joining the show. This is going to be a blast. Oh, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm very excited, obviously. I don't know quite as much about the draft yet as I used to probably at this time of year, but still a decent amount making my way through it. But I, I've gotten some cheating off of you and Connor and what you've said <laughs> on the podcast. And so I greatly appreciate those heads up. And it's guided me a little bit to, to where I've been able to release my first mock draft and dip my toes in those horrendous waters that they call your first draft takes <laughs> They're on social media. You know how that goes. So yeah, it's been, it's been a great week. I've loved it. Well, as John said there, we're going to be talking a lot about his First mock draft that he was able to put out. He's just started to really dive into this class. And John is one of my favorite scouting minds that that, that I could name. I mean, I started to work on Locked On NFL Draft because we started to be good friends. And that was just because I followed him on Twitter uh, for his draft takes. And so that was a lot of fun for me to get to have that old podcast with him. So I'm super excited about this because John has a great eye for scouting for a lot of different positions for the class as a whole. And John, you are known as somebody who tells it like it is. You're not going to sugarcoat a lot of stuff. So if a position group sucks or if the class sucks, I mean, you are often one of the people who's not afraid to say that. So I know that people are really going to appreciate it. Obviously, we're going to do a little bit of reminiscing here on this pod. Uh, We're going to have some chit chat back and forth about the old lockdown NFL draft days. And, you know, for you guys who didn't listen to it, it's okay. That's what time, that's why timestamps exist. You can go and check out when the actual mock draft uh, talk starts and everything like that. Before we get too far into it, I got to remind people that PFF.com is where you could go for all of your premium stats for all of these players, whether it's draft prospects or NFL players, we're going to be referencing a ton of that here on the podcast. And if you don't have a subscription yet to get all those premium stats, you can get 25% off if you sign up using the promo code NFLSE. So if you don't have an either an edge, an elite subscription, 
If you have one for the first time, if you want to upgrade, you can get 25% off right now. This is a fantastic deal. Use the promo code NFLSE. Check out all those premium stats that we're going to be talking about throughout the podcast. Uh, John, my boy. I feel like I had to just start it off like that. Just because I mean, most people do, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> let's, let's start by just talking about this class overall, man. I, I know you, that you're new-ish to it. You're really just starting to get into it because you've been covering the Buccaneers and their playoff mm-hmm. run, and, and you've been covering things on that angle. But when you look at this class, especially enough to be able to do a mock draft for the first time, I'm curious, what has really caught your attention, some players, some position groups, and where you think this class might be really strong or maybe not so strong, weakest? Yeah, I mean, I think the class overall uh, kind of sucks. But there I'll it is, folks. You told you it was coming. I told you it was <laughs> No, real talk. It, it sucks at the top, Trevor. Like, it's the top is not very good. Like, it doesn't suck. It the top but there's decent depth like you're gonna be able to find it's the opposite of last year's class if you saw last year's class there were like lots of blue chip players at the top and it wasn't hard to recognize that and if some of these quarterbacks get in situations that aren't trying to intentionally bury their careers that top of that class is going to be one of the best we've ever seen and then the depth wasn't there really with a lot of other other, other positions as it went down some positions there were i mean there's certainly exceptions this class i feel like You've really, and I've, you've seen even Daniel Jeremiah, I was actually kind of surprised he said it, but he said like, I think he said like six to 60 or something like that. The degree of difference is not that great. Mm. And I think he's kind of right from what I've seen so far. I don't see a lot of elite blue chip. This guy's a star. Like I watched Aiden Hutchinson, really good player. Uh, David Ajabo, these guys are, you know, people are saying, oh, they'll go, they'll go first. You know, they'll go in the, in the top 10. They'll go first overall for Hutchinson. You know, I watched Kayvon Thibodeau and I was like, oh, okay. Like these are guys like that are talented or good, but you put them like, and guys like Miles Garrett or Chase Young or some of those other guys. Like, I don't think they're those guys. So that's what I mean when I say top of the class. I don't think it's the whole class is bad. I just think that if you're looking for like, premier blue chip elite prospects i don't think this is quite the class for that well and i think that you know obviously the quarterback narrative being what it is with this class doesn't help right because i think we often if we can build an nfl draft class around a really good quarterback class then we can start to convince ourselves like okay like i'll take the top corner here the top edge rush here the top offensive tackle here and then you go oh like it's it's pretty nice at the top but without those quarterbacks to really be the backbone of this class or something to prop these guys up I think there's a lot of uncertainty and with uncertainty, people often realize that, okay, maybe there's not the difference makers that we thought. And, you know, we're yeah. going to get into how many options are at number one overall when we really dive into your mock draft. But, you know, have you seen, let's just say, I don't know, two, three, four players that you've been able to get your eyes on. You mentioned Hutchinson there by name. You said he's a really solid player, but mm-hmm. have there been a handful of players in this class that you've watched already that you've been like, okay, I really like this guy. Even if you, you're not saying that they're a far and away a number one overall pick or a top three pick, just somebody that you might've watched that you really like in this class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of guys that I've seen that I really enjoy certain things about their game. You know, Hutchinson is one of them because I love seeing players grow in terms of what their skill set is. If you watch Hutchinson at the beginning of the year, Trevor, you obviously saw a good player. Everybody knew he was a good player at the beginning of the year, but people didn't know that he was going to be, Oh, he could be the number one overall pick. He was kind of like, he's a fringe first rounder you know, you do your early mocks and he's in there obviously the first round. Cause you only know like 32 names at that point, or like, it only looks right. like there's 32 you know prospects at that point when you're doing those early mocks, but 
he wasn't like, oh, this guy could be the first or like this guy could be like Miles Garrett type territory. And I don't think you get into that range when you're watching him, even on tape now, but watching him at the beginning of the year and watching him at the end of the year, which I know he's an older, a little bit older than some of the guys he went up against. But I mean, we're still talking about a guy who just figured out one of the most important things a guy with his limitations can figure out. He's never going to be the most bendy guy like 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 Kayvon is. Like they're not going to be the same basically in that way. There's going to be some differences. But the one thing about Hutchinson that he had to figure out, he had to become maximize your first step, maximize everything about your first step, first step. And early in the year, he has a huge false step. You can see it. He's working from a two point stance. I know early in his career, there was some three point stance stuff. He played inside some still getting used to it, probably to a degree, although he'd done it before. Um, and he was lifting that first foot on his pass rush get off. He was lifting it and putting it back down in place and kind of like stomping like a bull basically like, but it wasted you know, a good half a second. And that's everything in NFL speeds, you know, that. So when you're projecting him out, you're saying he needs that get off. Cause if he's going to threaten the edge, it's not going to be because he can bend and run under a table at full speed. It's going to be because his first step is that explosive. So when he fixed that, I mean, he gave Ohio state the work after that. He gave Iowa the work after that. I haven't seen the Georgia game yet, but like Dudes could not block him. And then when they started oversetting because he was so explosive off the ball, he started just crossing their face, going inside, going inside, crossing their face. And it was really hard for guys to stop him. It's a little bit tricky in college because you always want our guys just jump in the snap because they don't change the cadence as much. Right. Our guys jump in the snap. What's happening here? I really don't think he's jumping the snap, Trevor. I think Hutchinson might have one of the best first steps we've seen from a college prospect. But the problem is I don't think a lot of people would say that because they watched him throughout the year and it's hit or miss the end of the year. When you could see he stopped doing that false step and he started just erupting straight out of his stance and not wasting any movement or time. It was a huge difference maker. I mean, he beat a Jabo out of his stance every single time. I think it can be one of those Trump card traits for him. Even if the other stuff for him isn't maybe at the level we've seen from top pass rushers in the past, dude, that's that's high praise for Hutchinson in his first step. There's not a lot of people who would who would take, I think, that attribute of his game and boast it the most because a lot of people, and I think they kind of oversimplify it, right? When they look at Kayvon Thibodeau and with they look at the Aiden Hutchinson and um, they look at kind of their pass rush profile and how they win, they say, okay, well, Kayvon's obviously much more athletic than Hutchinson, and, and I, I don't think it's necessarily the case because you remember Aiden Hutchinson was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Like this dude mm -hmm. is a, a real athlete. And I think that he's yeah. going to surprise a lot of people at the combine, but Kayvon wins in ways that are just a little bit different. He's, he's so flexible with his athleticism. Mm -hmm. You mentioned running under a table, having that bend, that ankle yeah. flexibility to go, to go around the edge and attack the outside shoulder, really give people fits with his speed runs. But man, it, it goes even further than just how he was able to grow this past year. You go back three years ago and what he was when he was kind of just getting into the mix of the rotation mm -hmm. with Michigan, with you know, Josh Uche and Quiddy Pay. And um, I think I said this on the podcast before, but I can't remember if Maurice Hurst was on that group, but like they were throwing Hutchinson in that mix. Mm -hmm. And he was just kind of trying to figure out how to make the most of his body, his size, his length and everything. And you say, okay, you're two, a little bit more controlled, a little bit more knowledgeable on how to win. And mm -hmm. I think this past year, you really saw him, find a bit of mastery in what he was doing. Not to say that he can't get better at the NFL level, but he really succeeded as much as you possibly would have seen him succeed at the college level. So Hutchinson is a good one. Who's another? Yeah, I think he's one of the first guys that stood out to me. There's a couple other guys that I've watched that I've really been impressed with. There's one guy, I got to save it for 
later that I think a player, I think I'm higher on than most. So I'm going to okay. save him. Okay. okay. But that's one I know. I know you're going to ask me a little bit later. So I'm going to okay. save one. I think Charles Cross is really good. I mean, people are going to overthink it. And I already heard the Andre Dillard thing get thrown out there. I mean, you got to measure who the dude is. I don't know who the dude is like as a person, I don't know him. And that's a factor with Dillard. Like he's a really nice guy apparently. And you know, NFL teams wondered if he had that nastiness in him Mm -hmm. because he didn't really run block in college very much. And now it's like, seems like it's kind of played out that way. Like, but physically, I don't think Charles Cross is, I think he's way nastier on tape than Dillard was. Dillard was picture perfect, smooth pass setter, but there, you know, you need that physicality in the NFL. You You just need it. I don't think Cross is lacks that physicality just because they didn't run the ball very often and he doesn't have a lot of run blocking reps. I mean, he's the only run blocker right now. So obviously there, there's going to be maybe some scheme things, but I, I don't know, man. Like the one thing he needs to fix is he just needs to get out of his stance faster. And usually I think that's fixable. Like he's explosive. He just doesn't move on time. Right. I think right. if he can do that and get out of his stance on time, I mean, the only way anybody beats him is if they beat him out of the, off the ball, they guess the snap count, they beat him off the ball and they get to the edge on him, but he has all the range you want all. I mean, strike timing is perfect. Balance is perfect. You can't really go through him. You know, hardly ever see guys cross his face inside hand is so strong. He's just got a ton of great traits. If I knew the guy was wired the right way, if I knew as an NFL team was like, mm-hmm. he's wired the right way. He's tough. He's nasty. He wants to come in and be a tone setter. Like I would take him high. Like, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't finished the other tackles as much yet. I know Evan Neal's a beast. I haven't finished the other guys as much yet, but I would take Charles cross high just because he has traits that area of the game. You need him in pass protection. Well, I mean, Mike Renner agrees with you. Mike Renner. I, I believe he's got Charles cross. Well, I'm glad that he's offensive. right for once. Yeah. His, his top offensive, <laughs> his top offensive tackle, all Mike Renner slander, uh, fully welcome on this podcast. Love We're kidding. Mike. We're kidding. We love Mike, but uh, no, he, he, he loves the athleticism. He loves the mold. There so many pass sets coming for that Mike Leach offense, right? He's got a lot mm-hmm. of experience in that regard there. Uh, you're right. I think getting out of his stance is definitely something that he, he needs to get better with but he shows that like it's it, it's not for lack of athleticism it, it's something that you hopefully can just fix with him because you don't want to get beat off the ball in the nfl because if you're getting beat off the ball in college it's only gonna get worse when the first steps get a lot better the explosiveness gets a lot better but i think he can hang man i think he's a really good offensive tackle and mm-hmm. you'd be hard pressed to find a mock draft at this point in time that has charles cross going anywhere later than certainly the top 10, but basically number six overall yeah. with Carolina Panthers because they need an offensive tackle so bad. So right. uh, yeah. Charles Cross makes a lot Good of sense one. there. Um, anybody else? I've got another one for you. Okay. i got another one for you. Lewis Sign. I'm saying the last name right, correct? Georgia I th- Safety? I think it's Seen. Is it Seen? Okay. I, Somebody told me, yelled at me for saying Seen on our pod, and they said oh, it was Sign, so oh, maybe it is Seen. Okay, well, I don't man, know what it is, but I Lewis Seen. I think <laughs> it's Seen. I think it is Seen. Connor, even, that dude's a Connor, Connor has also asked this question on this very podcast when okay. he also <laughs> highlighted Lewis Seen. So you're in good company, not just with the scouting eye, but also not knowing how to <laughs> pronounce the guy's last name. So, it's C-I-N-E. Like, yes, I, I think it could it's be Kine. I think I it's <laughs> <laughs> Kenny? Soft Kenny? Let's just call him Kenny. There's a soft H in there. Chine. Kine. Okay. <laughs> it was kind. Anyway, whatever his name is, he's baller, dude. I mean, he hits people. He's big. He's fast. And he processes quickly, too. He's going to be a strong safety in the NFL. He's not going to be a traditional single high safety. for So right. for schemes like that, if you're looking to replace 
a Marcus Williams or replace a Jesse Bates or replace a Quandre Diggs. He's not going to necessarily do what those guys do at an elite level because he's not like a ball skills range guy, but he, he can move for sure. And you've seen a matchup in man coverage and win. Not many safeties can go in man coverage in the slot right. and throttle down with receivers at the top of the route and look for the ball. He's done that on tape. That's a really encouraging sign for a strong safety because there's lots of molds. We say strong safety, but there's molds like Von Bell who are pretty much just boxed defenders who have to be in an underneath zone, like a linebacker, like they have to be in the right scheme to survive. And then there's strong safeties who like, okay, Malcolm Jenkins, he, he's a strong safety, but he can kick back and play two high shells. He can match up in the slot against tight ends, like all day and every match of big wide outs, like you give you a lot more, you know what I mean? So it's a one, it's a, it's a term, but underneath that umbrella are a lot of different variations. And t- to me, sign scene, kind, kind, whatever you want to, what his name is. He seems like the kind of guy that would be, I think he's going to be a lot more versatile Trevor. I think he's going to have like, he'll be able to step in the slot and you'll see him match up against tight ends. He lowers the boom in the run game and he looks for the football, very physical, very aggressive, and he's been playing in that defense too as a communicator. And so I think that that's a really good sign in the NFL. You come from a group like that. If he can test well, and he looks good on tape in that mm-hmm. regard, we know Georgia's had some, some athletes bomb the testing or not do as well in oh, testing in Lord. years past that we hope they would. And so I hope he's not one of those guys, but yeah, he, he looks like a player on tape. Who first comes to your mind when you think of that? Mine's Elijah Holyfield. Uh, Elijah Holyfield, Isaac Nauta. Do you remember him? Riley oh Ridley. Oh my gosh. Nauta was getting that top three round hype, then ran the flat four, nine, three or whatever. <laughs> it was oh, like, oh, okay. Hold on. Board. I got it. I got it. Riley gotta, Ridley. I got it. Riley remember Ridley this. was a bad one. Isaac. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Baker, DeAndre Baker ran slow too. I, right. I totally forgot about this. Okay. All right. Isaac Nauta's combine. The highest percentile, he competed in basically every single drill. The, the, the tight end from Georgia who came out in mm-hmm. 2019. He competed in basically every drill, and the highest percentile one that he had was the bench press. And it was 40, It was the 41st Never percentile. a good sign, first of all. 41st bench percentile. doesn't really even matter. If you're only good at that, you, you're basically me. So not a great athlete. <laughs> Three-cone drill, 12th percentile. Vertical, <laughs> vertical jump, 7th percentile. 40-yard dash, 18th percentile. Hand size, 17. Arm length, 11. Wingspan, 15. Weight 14, height 24, 60 yard shuttle 23. That's one of the worst combines. The I've ever good seen, news, folks. Trevor, is that on his spider graph, he got a bullseye. The bad news is <laughs> that's <laughs> you, bad, dude. You want a web on that thing, you don't oh, want man. a bullseye. So oh, man. it was, was a rough go for Isaac. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. I don't think that that's going to be the case oh. for Lewisine. I think that he's going yeah, to. Uh, I agree with you. By the way, Nicobe Dean, I don't think he's going to run fast. I, I like him. I'm not saying I don't like him, but. Nicobe I don't know Dean. if people, I don't know if that's a hot take for people. That's what I've heard though. I think he's, he's, his speed is one of the, it's and we, we, we haven't done the full combine preview. Cause we're going to get to that later in the week. Connor and I are going to, but Nicobe Dean is one of those players that I'm really interested to see how he tests because he explodes mm-hmm. really well, especially mm-hmm. when he's blitzing man, his timing mm-hmm. is so great. He, he moves, he goes, he basically goes from, I'll say, like zero to 30 really mm-hmm. fast. And then like his legs are churning the whole time, but yeah. I don't know if he's getting up from 30 to, I don't know when he's getting to <laughs> 30 to 60. That's like, a good way to and, put it. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's getting to 60. So he's got am, the governor on him. The governor just stops right, him at 40. And, and I'm very curious because he look, 
he is a smaller body frame. Mm. So the limbs are shorter, the legs are shorter, the everything is shorter. So like a lot of these guys that are taller that might also have speed with athleticism, like their legs are churning and they're covering more ground. That's how a lot of these guys mm. get to be faster and have slower times. It gets co- like covered more ground that way. N'Kobe Dean's just not like that. When you look at him, mm. you go, okay, he's a little bit undersized as a linebacker. It's not just from a physical standpoint, like taking on blocks. It also has to do with sideline to sideline stuff. Now, there's enough clips out there of him playing to the sideline really well that I, I don't, I, I, I would not call him slow. I'm just very curious to see what he runs. So I'm glad yeah. that you brought that up because I, yeah. I, I am in the same camp with you. That's the one guy who I'm for uh, sure. A lot of guys on that defense, for. you want to see their athleticism. And there's some question. I mean, Devontae Wyatt, you want to see athleticism. Uh, Jordan Davis, gonna, you don't care as much because you know what he is. But if Wyatt has upside, he's going to go high. I think. Yeah, the, I mean, Devontae's going to kill it, I think. Yeah, I think, he, that's I think what he's going to be great. Uh, you got a favorite position to scout? I don't know if I've ever asked you this question before, and I figured just having you on the podcast, <laughs> you, uh, you do this so well, so I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, it's something about the way that they grip the ball, rip it, tight spirals, they get down in their position. I just think long snappers are incredible. Like what Uh, they do, the dexterity, the flexibility. I would watch them all day. I mean, might only be too drafted. I don't know. Anyway, Um, no, I I think my favorite position to draft is always going to be edge defender. Like I just love watching that position maybe it's because I feel like I've kind of like, I've spent the most time studying it. So I feel like I know it the best. I've also developed like a, an actual system by which to like go, grade them on. Like I always start with four things, Trevor. I look for pass. I call them the four pillars of pass rush athleticism. I'm the, I'm what a nerd, dude. What a nerd. The four pillars of, <laughs> I mean, like this is embarrassing. The four I'll put pillars this out of pass there. rush. Here's the four pillars of pass rush. This athleticism. means, you, this means yeah. you have a process though. Like, dude, I can't tell you how many times I'm sure you get this all the time as well. Like people ask for a lot of like our categorical scouting process and so this is fantastic mm. i know that people are listening they're not going to think you're a nerd they're going to be writing down what you're saying they're going to be trying to uh, you know tweak it themselves and everything so all right what are, maybe what are, both maybe what, both. what are the four pillars of pass rushing yeah you okay so the there. four pillars of pass rush athleticism are burst off the ball your first step you know how quickly you get off the ball and react to the snap some people don't react quickly to the snap but when they do react it's quick so you have to have both kind of, if you can't marry both eventually or over a consistent period of time, then it really doesn't matter how fast you're off the ball. If you don't move when the ball snap, like your reaction might just suck. So I look for that one. I look for speed up the arc. So can you continue that burst that you have in your first step when your next several steps? So Hutchinson, for example, I think he has elite burst off the ball. Once he cut that false step out, uh, I think he has elite burst off the ball. It, after that, his stride length is not quite as big. Like, so I, I don't think he's got great speed, but it's more than adequate speed enough. So he can threaten the edge right there. Like, so those are the first, the first thing is burst off the ball. Second thing is speed up the arc. If you can maintain that burst off the ball enough to be able to threaten the edge to get outside on the outside hip of the tackle. Third thing is like bend and flexibility that displays itself in two types. In my opinion, bend in your hips. So you can bend through under contact and dip your shoulder and get underneath guys like that in your hips. Or the other way is you could tilt the edge. I, I think of a guy like Yannick Ngakwe. He doesn't really bend. He keeps himself straight and he's just kind of horizontal to the ground. And he just leans by runs on like the sides of his feet and turns corners. It's really <laughs> weird. And I, not many guys do that, but Chandler Jones is another one. Like Chandler Jones doesn't really bend under guys. He just kind of tilts his whole body and just leans like this when he's rushing. Like he's just kind of fully Works. tilted. So bending and tilting basically are, but, I put them both under the flexibility category. That's the third pillar. And then the fourth one is change of direction. So 
I think you need to be able to threaten tackles on their outside hip. Like if you can't in, in college, if you can't show that skill set, there are not a lot of pure edge rushers who play most of their snaps on the edge who can't win the edge consistently with burst speed or bend flexibility that are great pass rushers on the outside. Primarily they have to move inside where there's a more linear path to the quarterback, where their hands can be more deadly, their length, all of those things. There's other great traits, but if you can't win outside primarily, it's hard to win primarily as a power rusher off the edge in today's NFL. There's just not many guys that line up there every snap and win that way. And it's hard to win as an inside counter guy. Like Leonard Floyd found that out, right? He in college, he was only just trying to cross dudes faces. That's all yeah, he did was right. just run three steps up and then r- r- jump inside. Like that's all he did. And it's hard to win that way consistently in the NFL. So if you win that way all the time in college, a la Andrew Rebekite uh, from Penn state, I think that you're going to have to be able to show and prove to me you've got the tools and traits and bend and flexibility and burst and things like that to be able to win outside. So the fourth one is change of direction because once you've proven you can win the outside, you could, you have the burst, you have the bend and flexibility, you have uh, some of the, uh, the, the, um, the speed to carry that up the arc. The last one to me is, can you stop? Can you change direction and get back inside? Because if you can do that, I mean, you can win outside and you can win inside and then they're never going to be ready when you try to go through them. So those are really important ones. In my opinion, I think you need all, you don't need all four of them to be great, a great pass rusher. I just named some that don't, you know, I wouldn't say Chandler Jones is the bendiest edge rusher, but he knows how to, he he makes good use of what he has. And I think David Ajabo is going to have to do some of that too. You know, he's his reps where he's bursting off the ball. He's really hard to stop. And so you have kind of sort through the traits with different guys, but some guys like Miles Garrett have them all, and you know it's just it's it's a wrap. Like, yeah, and I mean it's a little bit it's a little bit like corner, right? People will be like, oh, like who are your top corners in the class? And it's funny, you know, we're gonna go through that exercise here on this very podcast where you have a linear ranking for guys, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably at some point gonna have I don't know a corner four is gonna be a purely man coverage corner, and corner five is gonna be like his own dude, right? And it's and it's like you look at those guys, yeah. and they're both good. They just win in so many different ways. I just love the phrase that you had there. He has to know what he's good at. You know, he's got to, he's got to make do with what he's got, even if you will. So a lot yeah. of guys, sometimes it's not even about having all the tools. It's how to deal with the tools or maximize the tools that you do have. That's what ends up mm-hmm. making a good pass rusher. And so I think that those are all really great points. And even if you don't have to have all of those things to be a great edge rusher, you do have to have some combination of them. Right. And then you have to know how to use that properly. So right. I think that those are, the, I, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, it's the difference between pure athleticism. Like some people will say, oh, he's athletic as an edge rusher. That's great. You know, he can run a great 40 for being as big as he is. That's awesome. But like pass rush athleticism is different. Like your 40 doesn't really matter that much to me. Although you being athletic is always good, but you, what is your speed over 10 yards? What is your speed over five, six, seven yards? You know what I mean? Like what, what is your, what is your three cone? That matters to me way more than what your shuttle is necessarily. Like, I don't really care if you're able to run 10 yards and then turn and run the other way. Like if you have to do that, your DC messed up, your coordinator messed up. So that's why I mean by pass rush athleticism. I think athleticism is so important, but the way it specifically applies to your position is so important to understand for each position in the NFL. I think functional athleticism right. is the term that I like a lot more, right? Can you, can you, and that's often what we do at the combine, right? You and I talk about this, Connor and I have talked about it the last couple of weeks on this podcast is we have gotten prepared for the combine can you take what you're seeing in those testing and let's say that a guy runs faster or quicker or jumps further than you thought he was going to, can you Mm -hmm. point to that on tape? Can, does he make that athleticism that he has functional? Does he win with it? Cause if he doesn't, 
don't really matter. And I think right. that that's a that, that's a good way to kind of point it out there. I'm very surprised actually that you didn't go with off-ball defensive tackle for your favorite <laughs> position. I mean, that you like, that's actually a good <laughs> point. Like the, this guy. the only reason, Trevor, that I didn't mention is because it's such a small sample size. Like, there's only been one in the history of this great <laughs> NFL draft that we love to scout, and Ed Oliver is still the only one that I thought, you know what? I'd take this guy over Jonathan Abram. Like, he's the only one that I thought... <laughs> You could, you could rank that way. That is, a, that is a, that's a little inside joke for old locked on NFL draft listeners. Um, I'm sure if you were listening to the podcast at the time, you remember the clip. If you haven't, I think you could search our Twitter handles and just the word Ed Oliver or just the word off ball defensive tackle off ball DT. And you can watch us have a good time. Um, poking. We've not revisited that Trevor. We never revisited that on a pod because we haven't done a full, like, how ridiculous was that? I mean, that was a so, real thing. Like Ed so, Oliver was getting worked out at linebacker. So, and so that was that was that's what it actually stemmed from, folks. People didn't know what to do with Ed Oliver so badly, if you will, oh, yeah. that they were going to work this clear defensive lineman out at a linebacker with linebacker drills because they didn't know what to do with them. And so we 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 have so one. athletic. <laughs> How many two hundred and ninety pound linebackers are there in today's NFL? Just the that idea was the- just hilarious to try. It was just classic like overthinking the draft now teams knew they were going to play him a d tackle i think they just want to see how he moved when they asked him to do a linebacker drill just to be like how much of a freak is this guy but like other there was interpretation of that i think that was like this they might actually like move in position that was just like the idea of ed oliver who isn't even tall by the way go no. under the linebacker height standards and way over the weight just dropping into coverage imagine you have- carrying the seam in tampa too if- <laughs> <laughs> he's dropping from a one tech up with the tight end vertically <laughs> it's, just, it's just ed oliver churning up between the safeties putting the hand up <laughs> if you haven't seen the clip if you haven't seen the original clip please please go search our twitter handles and just off ball defensive tackle you'll get to see us uh well you'll get to see me gasp for air because i don't know if i've ever laughed that hard uh in my life before we get to your before we get to your mock draft you tease it there i want to i want to ask it to you who is one prospect so far in this class i know you have a lot of guys to watch but somebody you think you are highest on as opposed to what the consensus is and then maybe lowest on when it comes to the consensus I don't know if I'd say I'm highest. I'm not sure where the consensus is enough. Like, cause I try not to read too many other people's stuff That's because fair. I don't want it to muddy my thought process before I've had a chance to really get into it. And you know, like I'll tend to just like say what I'm thinking, what I think about a guy rather than what, like, I know, like if I know it's a hot take, I won't stop me necessarily from saying it to me. I'll just stick right in wide receiver for people. I really think Traylon Burks is the best wide receiver in this class. Like I don't really have it that close between him and anybody else, to be honest with you, Trevor. Like, I just think he's, his tape is awesome, but he's also like incredibly big. He's incredibly explosive. He makes contested crazy catches. He's got like 11 plus inch hands. He just absolutely just, just envelopes the ball. I mean, I really am surprised that it, I look around and I don't see him as the consensus number one at the one position. Cause I'm pretty much done with wideouts. I've looked around a little bit at that one and I'm, I'm surprised like at some of the people he's behind I know that he needs to improve as a route runner and he played a lot from the slot, but this is like the AJ Brown thing, except we actually have 
reps of Traylon Burks on the outside. Like he was like what 40 reps this past year, something like that, 39. And dude, he just killed people. Like he was just destroyed people. Like, I mean, I mean, it was like, Oh, this small sample size, but yeah, like 10 of the plays are absurd on the outside, just blowing by guys at like 225, 230 pounds. I've been told he's going to run four, three, somebody even, yeah. I don't know. He won't run four twos. But no, he's no, if he, he runs no, four threes, he, it'd be crazy. No, no he physically can't. Uh, I, he's just, not DK, I, but my, he's, my soul is going to leave my body. If he touches <laughs> anything, even unofficial on the four, but I, I do, think, <laughs> I do think, I do think that Traylon Burks could really threaten something in the four threes. I think yep. officially he's probably going to run low four fours just because I have to think logically um, within, you know, the balance of, of what is capable for the human body. I can't allow myself to think that it's going to get any higher than that. <laughs> he's but, um, big dude. Like, no, he's, he's awesome. He, he, he is. And I think that, you know, you bringing up the AJ Brown point is a good one. You bring it up DK Metcalf. A lot of people bring him up as well because he's so unique. Right. And that was the thing mm-hmm. about Metcalf is Metcalf was different because he was an outside wide receiver, obviously. So like the position was a little bit different, but I remember you and I were working for the draft network when we were going through that process and it was just like, yeah, he's not going to like separate like other wide receivers. Yeah. You might want to, like, if you're looking for, for him to be Keenan Allen, he's not, but like ask him to run a, a nine or a comeback mm-hmm. or just something on a vertical plane. And he, he, he can't be covered. He won't right. be covered. And also, for, yeah, people, people are thinking too, Trevor, like you don't, it's not dancing with the stars. Like you don't want to be out there. Like, I don't like they look at I don't think the 20 really matters for wide receivers like people look at the or the 20 yard well, shuttle like I it, I don't think it really like if DK Metcalf moves at his size right, at a four three right. speed vertically it don't matter if you take 10 seconds to turn like that corner's going deep and you're breaking it off and it's over you're open like I just people just I don't know that stuff doesn't matter like if you can move at that speed at his size you're going to get open on any route. Like and that, you that are goes, like, to me, that goes back to the functional athleticism. Yeah. Look at how DK Metcalf wins. Okay. He won vertically and everything that he showed at the combine showed not just him winning vertically, but him dominating vertically mm. of what he was able to do. And guess what he right. did when he got in the NFL, he dominated vertically and he still does. And that's what he does. And that's the thing. Like, if he was a shifty receiver who was winning with change of direction and quickness, yeah, okay, the the the, the three cone and the short shuttle and those things mm-hmm. like matter, but for DK it didn't. So no, I right. very very intrigued to see what Traylon Burks is going to do because yeah. a lot of people talk his athleticism up a lot. And one guy that people have over him is Drake London, and that's the one I would say that I'm lower on than consensus. Like, wow, right. you know this? We've the, talked about it. What's off. that? No, get off the pod. No, I'm cutting your mic. <laughs> All We're right, done. here we go. Thanks for watching, everybody. I got Drake I just London. don't think I got, he's gonna run fast. I got Drake so London as wide receiver one, and I have Lund. Oh, I, I have uh, Burks at three because I had oh, George wow. Pickens at two. Um, yeah, so this is good. Like I'm spe- like you're exactly the type of audience I'm trying to talk to right now when I say like it's these fools out here putting Drake London over Traylon Burks to get me feeling some type of way. This draft class, <laughs> like no, I I do like like there's some things about Drake London I like. I'm not like out on Drake London. I don't like hate Drake London, but when I see him drop mocked in the top 10, I just, am, I will be surprised if Drake London goes in the top 10. I, I you know, I, I've been told he would run in the four sevens. I then another person, I checked out with some other people and they were like, he's not fast, but he'll probably run four high four fives. Yeah. There's and no that, way he's running four sevens. He's not fast, buddy. Like, and he's yeah, not my Devin size. This four seven is slow. Slow, but I don't but, think he's he that slow. slow. I don't like, think he's that slow, man. Look, vertically, if he's, if he's okay. Look, if he 
if he runs into four sevens, then obviously like I have to reconsider because right now, I right. right now I think he is a, if he runs in the four sixes, will you reconsider a la Calvin Harmon a little bit? Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I think right now that he's a mid four fives, like high four fives guy. I, I do. And so if he runs anything slower than that, then mm. unfortunately I'm like, okay, now obviously the strengths of his game that I like, they're still there, but when you are that limited when it comes to being able to stretch the field vertically, then that yeah. becomes an issue. Even if, even if he, he's always going to be a contested catch wide receiver, that doesn't get any worse, but his ability to be maybe more than that, I think changes if he runs something in the 464. Right. So we'll see. And, yeah. It's not a knock on him, but his ability to be a contested catch receiver will get worse in the NFL, not because of him, but because corners ball skills in the sure. NFL. It's one of the biggest things that changes sure. when you get sure. to the league. Like, I think, college, he's, these I think he's are, so dominant to where he's still going to be able to make his bread and butter off of it. I he, really do. He, and I wouldn't be surprised if he could still win that way. But again, like I think when you win, when you win on the vertical plane, as much as he does, like he's mm-hmm. not necessarily running every single route in the book, getting open all over the field from every alignment. He's pretty much in the same place in the same, every snap. He's pretty much at the same spot on the field, outside the numbers, outside receiver, left side of the formation. Like they don't move him around a ton. Yeah, but that's not on him. Because no, his, no, it's not his on early, him. Early, his early tape, he was even a big slot dude. Like they played yeah. him in the slot. That's where he probably field. will be in the NFL, I think. If he runs as slow as I think he'll run, I think he'll be a big slot in the NFL. All right. So okay. I might be a total hater. I think that he can no, make great contested fine. catches. Yeah. But when you're always making contested catches, there's a reason. Like, and one reason is Slovis's arm is absolute trash. The other reason is that he's always covered just because he's, he doesn't get separation vertically, I think. So he's unbelievable. Like it's unbelievable how often they connect on back shoulder throws, like in, in some back shoulder jump balls. I just think it's going to get a lot harder in the NFL and nobody respects your speed because everybody's super fast. No, but no doubt about it. His, we'll I mean, his 40 is going to be everybody and yeah. their mother is going to have binoculars yeah. on whatever the time is going to be, whether you're watching in person yeah. or you're watching. And the other thing he's, he's not that big. Like people compare him to Mike Evans and I'm not really sure why Mike Evans might be the most understood. You, we know this because I, mean, yeah, I cover correct. the box and you, right. you cover the box and our Bucks right. fan. I mean, Mike Evans got, might be the most understood misunderstood wide receiver in the league. Like yeah. he's, he was 235 pounds running a 40 yard dash, four, five, three, four, five, two mm-hmm. at the combine. Like that's freakish. <laughs> you no, know, he's, receivers he's, out here, two thirty. He's not London ain't that big, so he's, he's a unicorn. Yeah, no, like, I'm, I'm totally with you. All right, let's get to your mock draft. I mean, you teased it a little bit there with Drake London not being a top ten pick. Let's get to the actual mock draft picks you had. But actually, before we do that, um, got to tell you guys about All Twenty Two. Our friends at PFF over at All Twenty Two are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. I did the draft at the beginning of last season, and I can't tell you how much fun it was. All 22 uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a full 53-man roster, offensive line included. So it's like fantasy football, but you're drafting all positions, and you're actually going off of how they perform, not just the stats that they get. If you've ever dreamed Hmm. of sitting in an NFL front office and if you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out this All 22. Join the wait list on all-22.com with nothing more than your email. That's all you got to do to sign up. Uh, if you join the wait list before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo for your code to get the All-22 subscription. Uh, wait list users will even gain access to premium content like the inaugural draft guide, in-season strategies, 
um, more announcements and, and, and feature releases that we're going to have there as well. Be sure to follow all 22 at all 22 underscore PFF on Twitter, all 22 less fantasy and more football. It's really cool guys. We're going to be telling you about guys about that. Uh, I think throughout the draft season, cause I hope you guys get into it. Cause it was a lot of fun to do that draft. It was a fantasy. That sounds football. awesome. I, I mean, it's really cool, man. And I, I know that we're working on it and we're making it as, as, as good and as realistic as it could possibly be, yeah. but it's, it's that fantasy football feeling, but for an right. entire team. So it was really, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to do yeah. the draft with a lot of people. So I'm um, definitely in on that. that yeah, you guys got to, uh, you guys got to be on the lookout for that. Your mock draft 1.0 over pewterport.com. Everybody go check mm-hmm. it out. You have Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama, going number one overall. And we teased it a little bit at the beginning of the show where it's like, okay, there's no consensus here. There's a lot of players. There's probably more players than we think that are in the pool to potentially go number one overall. You landed on Evan Neal. Talk to me a little bit about Neal going number one overall and then your thoughts behind what the Jaguars could do with that pick. They could do a couple things. I mean, they could talk, they could go Hutchinson, they could go Thibodeau, they could do a bunch of different things. I mean, it wouldn't be like it's weird to me, at least. Um, having said that, Mike Caldwell coming from Todd Bowles, like Todd Bowles obviously got the edge rushers now, but you know, kind of inherited some of those. Like, I mean, that's not necessarily like something when he was with the Jets, they didn't necessarily build around those guys. And right now he's got Josh Allen. Caldwell does as he goes to Jacksonville. He's got Josh Allen and he's got, I don't know, Caleb and Jason, if he's anything, we don't know. I mean, he's dropping into coverage more than he's rushing these days. So who knows, but it doesn't look promising for him, but maybe you want to work with those guys. Maybe you don't see it as a huge need right at the top of the draft. Maybe you do. And you take one of those guys, but you know, left tackle is a big need. Cam Robinson's mm-hmm. about to hit free agency. They've got a couple other free agents up front, Norwell left guard as well. So, I mean, they've got to look at their options there and kind of say, okay, we, do we want to have a chance here to, there's a couple good tackles. We could get one of these top guys, you know, I think the top three guys look pretty good that everybody, I mean, even there's even questions with Ikwonu, I think a little bit about like the pass sets and everything like that translating to the NFL, a little bit similar to what there was with Becton in some ways. Sure. Um, so I think, you know, you look at the top of the draft and you say there might be, you know, one all around surefire guy in the minds of some people with Evan Neal and let's get him and let's make him Trevor Lawrence's left tackle and let's build from there. Like, I, I don't know. That seems like a really good process to me um, because I think they need offensive lineup. They need to seal up that spot. You hope that the new regime can get more out of uh, Taylor, the right tackle. And you hope from there, like right. they can continue to, to build things in the right direction. I think. Yeah, that, no, I agree. I, I agree with you. And I think that that's the right pick. A lot of the mock drafts that I've done recently have had Neil at number one overall. And uh, you know, if, if uh, I think that some people, you know, whether they're Jags fans or just draft fans, they'll say, well, don't pigeonhole yourself into an offensive tackle, like take the best player available. And I do hear you, especially for a team that is devoid of talent and played as poorly as the Jaguars have, like you want to take the best player available. But if everything is decently even, as you kind of explain there, hmm. protecting Trevor Lawrence is something that goes into the equation. Setting up right. the best offensive line you can is something that goes into the equation. So I land on, on, on Evan Neal there as well. You've got Aiden Hutchinson going to the Lions. you got Kyle Hamilton going three to the Texans. Kayvon Thibodeau, four to the Jets. Jets fans will be happy about that. I had them passing on Thibodeau in my last mock, and uh, oh boy, we're really happy about that one. Connor uh, they have almost, basically been almost threw me under the bus and just backed the bus straight over on the podcast when we were talking <laughs> about it. But uh, He's uh, probably he, ticked. He's been waiting for an edge rusher since John Abram, man. No, he has, and Connor was uh, probably nicer than he needed to about it, but he said he he gets it with offensive line because I had them taking uh, Iki Iquano and and making that – Kind of the, the same yeah. thoughts that uh, you have with, with he and back then, right? With with and Elijah Vera Tucker, right? Just some road graders out here. But um, yes. you, so I want to go down. You got Charles Cross going six, number seven. 
want to ask you about this one because you and I have had this conversation before. You get the New York Giants at number seven. You have them taking linebacker Devin Lloyd. And I think that Lloyd objectively would be a really nice fit when it comes to roster necessity and something that they, I think, really need at the center of their defense. But the off-ball linebacker position, I didn't say off-ball defensive tackle. I almost did. I thought about it. But that off-ball linebacker position, you and I have talked a lot about, is it worth a top 10 pick? You have Devin Lloyd going number seven overall here. Obviously, the class is a little bit more up and down than I think it normally is. But what do you, what's the kind of the thought process with Lloyd here at number seven? I think the only time that teams really feel like it's worth it is when the linebacker's name is Devin. And other than that, I don't know. If <laughs> Devin White, Devin Bush, Devin Lloyd. Like Other than that, it's like forget this position it's good um, if you if you I, have if you have uh you know if you have a kid and you want to make it the nfl but, linebacker name devin just you choose that name wisely parents it's just just <laughs> telling you right now um i don't know we'll see what happens with devin lloyd uh, i've only seen a little bit to be honest i need to see more of him on tape i probably will do linebackers last again this year because i just the bucks are probably unlikely to draft one but i'll still do them and i'll probably watch lloyd and and and, and dean in in depth and scout them very soon and actually grade them out. I haven't finished grading him yet, but I see a guy who has the ability to do everything when I watch him and he plays with the right temperament. And I think he looks fine athletically. I don't know mm-hmm. what he's going to test that. Or I have not heard from anybody what they think he's going to test. If they think he's going to blow it up or I don't know if he's going to blow it up, but I think he looks like a good athlete on tape. So we'll see what happens. The giants are now run by Brian Dable and Joe Schoen. And I'm sorry if I'm saying his last name wrong, but Shane, what I, Sheen, name, that's, that's very, Thank it's you. very confusing. Like it doesn't look like yeah. Shane at all, but it doesn't uh, that's, at all. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is the way it is. Um, I think that, I mean, they both are coming from Buffalo. And so they know Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, like drafted these guys, valuable. That defense needs guys like that in the middle of the field. Edmonds hasn't even fully, you know, arrived as a player still, but they valued him. They value the skill set. They value the ability to do lots of things, stay on the field for all three downs they value that in linebackers. They're not mm-hmm. like the last era giants people, the, the fill in, in Philly, like what, you know, they don't, where they don't value the position, the Browns, you know, this is different. Uh, this group is different. This group running this team is different. And I think they're going to see it's a huge hole there and they could address it at seven. They could trade down, which I'm sure they're going to want to, if the top two red rushes are off the board, they could take Guanu. They could do a bunch of different things, to be honest with you. Like the, the giants, it's kind of an open book. That's kind of that way for a lot of different teams. I don't know if how high Lloyd is going to ultimately go. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges of putting together this mock draft, Trevor, is that I don't really see multiple typical top 10 players in this draft class. Right. Well, last year you sure. saw 15 guys that could go top 10 mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be weird to you. You know, you got guys spilling out of the top 10. You're like, geez, this is going to be crazy. But well, one of these dudes is going to fall. This isn't like that in this year. So I bet we see one or two surprises in the top 10. It's it, it, That's why... You know, you have so you have you have Tyler Linderbaum, the safety from I or the safety, the center from Iowa going 24 overall to the Dallas Cowboys. And I totally get it because I see a lot of mock drafts that have Tyler Linderbaum going in the, I don't know, like right around 20, you know, like some somewhere mm-hmm. between 50, 15 and 25. But you know, the reason is because he's a center, right? And a lot of people look at center and they look at the tier offensive line. And like unless you're a Quentin Nelson and you have all these stars and these hype videos next to your name, you just don't often go very high when you're in a tier offensive lineman. But what you just said there makes me feel like there is a real chance that we could get Tyler Linderbaum as even a top 10 pick because when you watch him and you go, okay, that's one of the cleanest, best prospects in this class, there's a chance that some team is just going to go, screw it. Give me the good player. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't want want to take any of these other guys. I just want to take the football player that I think is best. And that's why um, 
you know, you've got Tyler Linderbaum at 24. I'd love to hear your thoughts mm-hmm. there with him going to the Cowboys. I think it's a great fit. You know, obviously they, mm-hmm. they get to fortify the offensive line, but I feel like he can go a lot higher for that reason, but right. that's kind of where I am. You're exactly right. He could go higher. That's very much a position and usually just a player, whoever the top player is usually is very much just like, Oh, we value the position enough. And other teams just like, we just straight up don't like it just doesn't matter to us. Um, If he went at eight, it wouldn't surprise me to Mm -hmm. to be honest. I mean, here's the other part, Trevor, everybody's going to try and trade down, right? Like, I mean, I'm not alone in my thinking here. I don't think that the top of this draft class isn't exactly loaded. If you're pretty good at O-line and the top two edge guys are off the board, you're probably going to try and trade down because but the problem is who's going to want to trade up because the quarterbacks in the class right. are good. And that's right. normally what people are trading up for. So you're going to have a real hard time. If you're Atlanta, I mean, they're kind of an easy one to say, okay, they're probably going to try and trade down depending on what's on the board. Okay. You look around the board and you're like, all right, like nobody wants to trade up. We're stuck here. We're just going to take the player. We like the most, like, mm-hmm. like I don't care. Like it could be a center, you know, and they've invested a lot Atlanta in their offensive line in the last couple of drafts. They've drafted a ton of guys it just hadn't really worked out for him. Like they should try drafting the good players. I think that might be a good strategy for them moving forward. That doesn't really include Jalen Mayfield. It doesn't really include Matt Hennessy necessarily. It does include Chris Linsom. It does not include Caleb McGarry. Like that would be crazy to imagine drafting him in the first round. But I think that moving forward, that's could be part of their philosophy. And that's where Linderbaum could come into the picture, like saying, okay, we tried Dolman at center last year. We tried Hennessy. We tried like alternating centers, <laughs> literally alternated centers for right. weeks, Trevor. Yeah. Like I was like, come yeah. on. They alternated centers in the same game. They had like four fumbled snaps against the Bucks, and they're alternating centers drive to drive. Listen, you know, that's where, that's where the game is going. Football is going to a center by committee. I've often <laughs> said this. I've often said what's the center platoon. That's what it is. Right. It's a yeah, center, it's pl- center platoon. You've got an early down center on first and second down. And then you've got a third down center that you bring That's into the game. On the money yeah. Day. Yeah. They had the center. They could snap the ball. Then they just brought in drew Dolman on the reps that they didn't want to snap the ball. Right. And he put that thing on the ground, just like he's supposed to. So now they could take Linderbaum at eight driver and it wouldn't even blow my mind because he's a good fit in the system too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want to, obviously Arthur Smith wants to run the ball. I could see it being like very easy. Like he falls in love with them or he could fall the way down into the twenties. Like it, that's really the range. And it's because of exactly what you said. Like, isn't the, isn't the best draft at the top. So after you get outside of the top five or six, you're going to see teams that want to trade down can't, and they're just going to say, you know what, screw it. We're just going to take the player. We like the most, like it might be a reach, but like, we don't care. Like there's only like 10 guys we like in this class and right. he's who we like the most. And that's how some teams are going to view it. You have the Falcons taking Traylon Burks, your wide receiver one. I was going to ask you about that, but you already brought up Traylon Burks, so we don't need to double up on that. You got the yeah. Denver Broncos taking edge rusher Trayvon Walker. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But outside of the top 10, because you got Sauce Garner going 10 to the New York Jets, no quarterbacks. We got no quarterbacks in the top 10 here. And you touched on it a little bit. You got the Washington Commanders at number 11 taking Sam Howell as QB1 off the board. But, man, just your thoughts overall on this quarterback class. I mean, it seems pretty crazy in today's day and age in the NFL to not have a quarterback go in the top 10, right? And, and I think that, look, you're certainly not alone. I think a lot of people, you know, I've said on this podcast, I've said on some radio programs that I've been on, like, I, I don't think I'm going to give any first round grades out to any of these quarterbacks, but we know the NFL is going to draft them at some point. You just didn't think in this mock, that it was going to be forced in the top 10. So what do you think about this quarterback situation overall this year? I mean, is there a parental warning on this pod? I don't know what y'all do. <laughs> like, do you censor things? I don't know. It's horrible, dude. Like, it's a horrible class. Like, because even when there's physical talent, like there is with Willis and Howell, there's just mind-boggling decision-makings 
like bottom tier decision makings and pocket presence. And you can't, you have to at least be like average in those areas with the great tools to get me excited. You know, it just, and they don't even, I don't even, they wouldn't even sit. They don't even have Josh Allen level tools. Let me be clear. Oh, they're, they're good. Well, they're, that's, I, I think we need to retire. People understand, right? Like people, people need okay. to, people need to stop talking yeah. about like, oh, he could be the next Josh Allen. Josh Allen, go watch Wyoming Josh Allen tape. Yeah. The arm is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Like right. go watch Josh Allen's Wyoming tape and then watch any of these quarterbacks in this class. And you right. will never say that phrase ever again, that yeah. he's like, he's a project. So he just be he, like, he's just Josh Allen. If Josh mm-hmm. Allen didn't have the arm ceiling that he did, he probably would not have had the chances long enough to become obviously what he is now is one of the mm-hmm. best quarterbacks in the NFL. And like, that's right. just, that's the reality of it. They played yeah. him as much as they did. They stuck with him as much as they did because obviously they drafted him high, but oh. also because like, <laughs> the arm was that alluring right these guys Trades don't have real. yeah yeah no it, they don't have i feel like i shouldn't have to couch it that way but i i kind of do because i've seen people be like you know it could be like a josh allen situation no, like, sure. no i no, mean like, they're not that like they're not that couple type of talent but they are talented for sure like they have enough physical talent that you don't worry about that part they check the box as people would say but just the decision making and the pocket presence and you know Howell just like panics after his first read and Willis just I mean some plays are great and so many plays are like what in the world is this guy doing and then you have the opposite end of the spectrum where Pickett figured it out but it took five years you know and like mm-hmm. we need to talk like that's important here in this process like and his hands are you know the Burger King guys in the commercial so I mean like I'm just not sure what you really do with that at that point like we've never seen hand, you know, it'll come out this week in any of the official size. I don't want to ruin it for people. Well, maybe you got the hand masseuse. Remember Brandon Allen years ago, yes. got the hand masseuse yes. to like improve what, what his did, hand size. What, what did he improve his hand size by like a fourth was, of an inch? Or yeah. An, I think he was like, or something. it was nine. And then it was like nine and a quarter at the combine from the senior but bowl. The thing, like do you remember, you remember at the senior bowl, the big story with Kenny Pickett is that he has like, he's like double jointed in his thumb. Yeah. And so like, yeah. that's why his, hand size is like so abnormally different than somebody else's to where like i i don't know is he double jointed on both hands like can you measure like the non-throwing hand and just be like okay well the rest of his hand is actually like nine and a half or whatever like hitting the threshold but at the same time like even if that's the case he throws with the one that's double jointed so like does that even matter matter. i do not know i i have no this is such a strange situation i I don't even know i saw his hands i mean i walked past him in the senior bowl multiple times i saw his hands i never seen that i never seen him that's a new i never seen hands that small like it's a hand uh, specialist now what are you what are you you a hand specialist handologist i'm a hand specialist look you wear a lot of hats when you're draft scout man you gotta look at those things but anyway quarterback class is bad there's either physical severe physical limitations and ceilings on guys or you just can't imagine some of the raw tools guys getting where they need to be to be consistent starters in the nfl so it's somebody's gonna take them but i don't think they're gonna be lucky a uh, couple questions left two guys that i did want to hit on you have george Karloftis, the edge rusher from purdue going number 14 overall which i don't think is a bad spot i think i've had george Karloftis going to baltimore um in a couple of my mock drafts but i also feel like i've heard you kind of talk about george Karloftis as if you were not as high on him as the rest of maybe draft Twitter, just like just consensus might be. Is that the case? Are you lower on him? I have no clue. I feel about George Karloff doesn't matter. <laughs> I really don't. He's one of the weirdest <laughs> players in the draft. 
I went in and I, I kind of, and this is maybe my bad. I try to avoid these things, but you go in with some notions. Sometimes I went in and I watched a couple games and I kind of had the idea going in. Okay. He's like a big heavy edge without great physical tools, right? He's not like super long or, and, and everybody's like, Oh, he's not that athletic. And then some people have said, wasn't he on Feldman's list? I think he might light up the combine. So yeah, I don't I know what's going I think he was at least in certain areas better than people expect anyway. So I was like, I don't think he's that unathletic watching him. But, dude, the problem is I watched two games. I watched Oregon State and Iowa, and he won, like, every snap. But it was so <laughs> absurd. Like, Iowa's tackles are horrible. I thought this place was known for O-line play, and they have been in the past. Their tackles are so bad in every game I've watched. I mean, Hutchinson and Karloftis, it was not even – they shouldn't even put that tape out there. Like, it's honestly – it's like abuse of those guys to like that that tape's available for people to watch. But I, I, I honestly watched those games. And I was like, okay, Carl Loftus is just like tough. Like he's just going to like run through you. And I, what translates, what translates. Then he was against Ohio state and it was just terrible. I mean, Carl Loftus was horrible against Ohio state and Hutchinson destroyed Ohio state. I mean, destroyed them it was one of the m- most ridiculous game tapes of the year. And Karloftis struggled like crazy, dude. As a pass rusher and no answers, as a as a run defender, it was terrible. They unblocked him and optioned him off all game because he can't move laterally at all. Like, that's the biggest struggle. Now, if you have Karloftis play in space, you're going to be pissed. But there's something to him, like, for sure. I mean, he's not a bad player at all. I'm curious to see how he tests. You know, he's somebody that has to win off the ball because I don't think he's, like, this super bendy dude. But if you notice him when he lines up on tape, he stands open to the pocket before the snap. If you see him off the edge, Mm -hmm. he knows his limitations and he like cheats basically with his stance and it will get him killed as a run defender. If he plays that way, because he'll get teams will see that and they'll either just leave him on block because he's going so wide off the snap and they'll run inside of him, or they'll just kick him out constantly because of his stance per snap. But as a pass rusher, like it works for him because he has the angle immediately. If he can jump the snap, You right. can't get back like in your stance. It's very odd. You don't see guys do that a lot. They kind of just let him do his thing. It felt like on tape. I think there could be like a path for him to be this like pretty dynamite situational rusher. I don't think he can bulk up though. Like, I don't think he's an inside guy. Like I, I love, you know, Renner's my boy, but I saw, I think it was Renner. Maybe I'm misquoting, but he, he said something like he could play inside or outside. I don't know if he could play inside because he's not that great of a run defender right now. And he'd have to bulk up a lot and he's kind of got a maxed out frame. I'd rather see him trim down and see what he can do on the edge. Like drop mm. 10, 15 pounds if he's two if he's really 275. You yeah. know, play at 260 and play at 255 and then let me see. Because I don't think he's a bad athlete at all. Like no, I just think no. he can't move laterally. No, he's a, he's a, he's 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 a very all-around athlete. I've got the uh I've got the Bruce Feldman freak list paragraph on him right now. He played on the U16 Greek national water polo team as a 13 year old, which is pretty insane. Then he became a two time Indiana state champ in the shot put started for three seasons for his high school basketball team. And uh, as part of his preparation, he spends an hour a day doing hand-to-hand combat and MMA drills. So it's like, this dude's just like, he just, he just does athletic shit for fun. Like, that's just like, that's what he does. He's just, he's just an athletic dude. But I I do agree that he is going to be polarized. He, I mean, he is polarizing for a lot of people. I love his game. I really do. Um, I think he's stronger than you give him credit for. Um, I just think. Yeah, his alignments, his alignment is a little strange, but I think that if you're getting him in normal spots, I think that he succeeds in both areas. I really do. Maybe he's not yeah. a lead in one or the other, but I think, I think he's, he's a really good all-around player. 
I think he's strong. I, I guess I don't think he's like a weak player at all. Like I think he's strong. I, I think that it's hard to win primarily with strength in the NFL because you hardly ever go up against anybody. Do you have a serious yeah, that's physical that's power? Fair. You know, you just don't have that discrepancy like you right. do in college. Right. Like as Iowa tackles were getting knocked over. Like how many times do you see it, a starting tackle no, outside of preseason just, yeah, games? You know happen, what I mean? Doesn't happen often. So that that's where I say like he's got to build off of that some. Like there's a lot of body to body rushes that just kind of die out. But when he jump, when he beats you off the snap, it's curtains. Yep. Like, yeah. So that's going to be the key for him. Like, and if he can get lighter and more explosive, he's got a higher ceiling than other 275 pound edge rushers in college, sure. yes. like Zach Allen, yes. AJ Epinesa, oh, yeah, 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 Carlos Basham. Like those guys were all so overrated, and they were. I mean, Zach Allen and and Epinesa were mocked in the top ten all the time, and I was the dude that came out and was like, these dudes are not first round players. They aren't even second round players, in my opinion. And then they end up going way later than people thought, like as the draft went on, I don't, I think Karloftis is better than those other types. And I know those guys have some different body types, but I think he's better than those guys. All right. We got to get you out of here on pick number 27. It's the Buccaneers. It's a team, you know, so well, you've got them taking offensive guard Zion Johnson and oh, well, oh, well, we'll look at the timing of this podcast because Ali Marpet, we're recording this on Sunday. Ali Marpet just retired out of effing Mm -hmm. nowhere, which is not ideal for this Buccaneers team. Jensen was already hitting free agency. Kappa was already hitting free agency. And so you have them going Zion Johnson of, Senior Bowl guy, the offensive guard mm-hmm. from Boston College. Uh, looked like a good pick then. Feels like it's an even better pick now. How much do you think their priorities change with Marpet out when it comes to number 27 overall? Yeah, it might change. I mean, what happens in free agency will be big. I mean, I don't know how many people that listen to this listen to Peter Report podcast. We've talked about it pretty much at length. I don't think Ryan Jensen's going to be back with the Bucs uh, right. for sure. I would be pretty surprised. Um, I think he's going to. He's looking to cash out one more time. He'll be 31 in May. He wants to get the big payday. And I just don't know if the Bucs want to shell out a ton of money when they're paying. Well, I mean, they have to figure out Marpet's situation, but they're paying Donovan Smith a lot. And then they're going to pay Tristan Wirfs a lot. You know, I don't know if they want to pay. I mean, he's going to be in the rag now. He's trying to get to the rag now range. Like, right, you right. want to make him the highest paid center in the league at his age when he's played through injuries the past two years. So if they lose Jensen, then maybe Kappa comes back for nine mil a year or something like that. Um, and you keep him around maybe but you're still probably looking for another guard or a guy who can play there. So yeah, it could, it could change things. I mean, they could go for a vet. They have standing around. He'll be a free agent, but he's probably back on a cheap deal. They liked him. He started the playoff games and they won the Super Bowl, obviously with him out there. Um, he played well. Uh, Nick Leverett's a guy they've developed. They've done a good job behind the scenes. They at least have good depth. I don't know if these guys can be, you know, 17 game starters, but um, they have good depth. They have guys that will challenge and compete and work their tails off for spots, make a young guy better if he comes in. We'll see how much it changes their plans. But Zion, you know, I, I don't think, know if he's ever going to be a star, but he seems like a guy who's going to test pretty well. And the yep. power is obviously there. Lots of yep. double teams in college. Very similar system to what the Bucs do. I think he's got the right mentality. That's matters to the Bucs. They've mostly drafted really good athletes on their offensive line, but they also will make exceptions like Alex Kappa, one of the worst athletes that's ever participated at the combine in his position. And from a small school, they said, you got the mentality and the technique, dude, we're going at you. We're taking you. So they'll make exceptions if the mentality is there. And I think it's there for Zion. So I think they'll like him. All right, there we go, everybody. I know we didn't get to all the picks. We didn't have time to do that, but go check it out over at pewterreport.com. I got to give you guys a reason to go over to the site. Check out John's 
1.0 mock draft for the 2022 NFL draft. He's got all 32 picks in the first round with explanations with all the paragraphs and what he thinks on all these prospects beyond what we just talked about here. John, this was awesome, man. This was so much fun for me. I really appreciate you popping on, getting to reminisce a little bit about some old times. Uh, Dust off the duo mic a little bit here and get to talk some NFL draft, buddy. This is fantastic. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Always a blast. You guys are killing it. Fun to see you killing it and killing the game with Connor on this thing. And I know it's the best is definitely yet to come. So appreciate you having me on and I'll see you in India in a couple of days. I know. I'm excited about it. Go follow this man on Twitter at Ledyard NFL Draft. Go follow Pew Report as well. They're covering the Bucks better than anybody else out there. Appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. It is Combine Week, and tomorrow Connor is back in the co-host chair, and we are going to preview what we believe the biggest storylines are for the Combine, and that includes what the head coaches are going to say, what the GMs are going to say, what these players are going to say, what we're looking for, whether it's on the field with the testing or at the podiums. What questions do we want to see answered? What's going to matter the most in Indianapolis? That's coming tomorrow. We'll see you guys then. 